Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 59, headlined by a light heavyweight fight between Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos. In my opinion, the toughest test of Jamal Hill's career, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing if he can pass that test. The odds indicate that he should pass it with flying colors, but I'm not so certain that that's what's actually going to happen. But we will see uh, how the live chat views some of my views, uh, views on this fight once we get to that point. So appreciate everybody uh, hanging out on this Tuesday evening. It's 10.30 p.m. Eastern currently right now or 10.37 p.m. Eastern right now. Um, you know, pumping out a late night edition of the MMA Lockcast just to get the uh, the views out, right? I should have... Uh, I probably should have released it yesterday, but I still had some spots that I need to tape study um, and, and you know, dot my I's and cross my T's. And I pretty much was able to do that here, um, you know, in, uh, before the um, for the Contender Series as well as slightly after the Contender Series as well. So I'm able to finally wrap all things up. Personally, I have three bets right now. Uh, already placed for this weekend's card um and i think i've been i might be making one or two more uh depending on line movement and all that stuff but before we get to that let's just go over the betting recap of the last event we're currently on a two fight winning streak or at least two event winning streak um uh, and then that third event, the ortega rodriguez card that was only a minus 0.22 loss there but still we got red hence the losing event. But we are on a two-event winning streak right now. Hoping to get back to my winning ways. Let's quickly go over UFC 277 here. So uh, lock of the night play, Brandon Moreno. Let you guys know right off the jump that uh, Moreno is going to be my play. I even made the bet before the UFC Long Island card because I – or sorry, before the UFC London card because I expected uh, you know the line to start moving. I got minus 187. I believe he closed closer to about minus 220. And uh, it looked great you know, pretty much the entire way. The biggest success Kai had in that fight, in my opinion, was that one elbow that he landed. <coughs> excuse me. Um, in that at the beginning of that third round, that opened up that giant cut under, uh, I believe it was the left eye of Moreno. Um, but Moreno, heart of a Mexican, heart of a champion, heart of a warrior guy, goes out there and uh, totally turns the tables later on in that same round and eventually gets that uh, beautiful liver kick. Uh, finish so good win for him there. Uh, catches our lock the night play again. I thought it was pretty easy at no point did I really feel like I was in serious danger of losing that bet. Sure, that cut that opened up wasn't great, but I knew that Moreno had what it took to battle back and still end up getting that finish the way that he did. So, shout out to Moreno. Uh, we'll stick with the wins and then we'll end off with the losses. So, other big win was Alex Morono, one unit at plus 136, cashes another spot with relative ease against Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, I knew his pace and pressure was going to be too much. Uh, he deceivingly cracks pretty hard for a guy, uh, you know, of his style and his stature. Uh, and you could obviously see that. And that was very evident on the face of Matt Simmelsberger, even going into that third round. Personally, I thought they should have stopped the fight, right? It, it was surprising to me that Simmelsberger uh, could see with that one eye. It did not seem like he could see, at least me. But they, you know, Texas, fuck it. That these guys die in there, right? That's pretty much what it was. But, you know, he did make a good account of himself in that third round. Almost finished Alex Morono with a flying knee there. 
landed very flush, but we saw the durability of Morono come through. He managed to stand tough and still go out there, uh, you know, close out that third round pretty well, uh, even after getting dinged up early there, but he gets the win there. Casts for us 1.36 units. Other uh, Another win was the 1.5 units that I had on Nikolai Negomarianu uh, at plus 125. He closed as the favorite, so great CLV there, but uh, that cashes for 1.88 units. Pretoria is a fraud, absolutely a fraud. The guy was huffing and puffing, you know, near the ending of that first round. I knew that it was going to be a good night for Negomarianu at that point. So good win for him there, getting that finish uh, and cashing the ticket for us. And the last win for us was uh, 1.03 units at minus 103 on the Adam Fugit and Michael Morales fight. Very happy to hit that. Um, a lot of people thought Morales would just go in there and start him in round one. I expect if you get to at least put up some resistance, get over that one and a half round mark, and then either get put out or, or finish later in that uh, fight which exactly ended up happening. So uh, shout out to Adam Fugit for showing the heart of a warrior, taking the fight on short notice. I know that guy's going to eventually cash some tickets for us in the near future. Uh, so I can't wait to see how they line him moving going forward and uh, who they match him up with as well. So uh, shout out to Adam Fugit. Let's quickly go over the losses here as well. Dog of the night play shits the bed. Jiyun Kim with absolutely no urgency in a fight that will more than likely be her last in the UFC. That caps off a four fight losing streak that she's on right now that's minus two units at plus 115 uh she had it man if she if she just went for it a little bit more in that third round didn't engage in the grappling and just let her output go she probably would have won that fight but is what it is again i'm not going to say women's mma it's it's always a close fight that we lost. You know, I was happy to be on the underdog there, but we don't end up cashing our ticket. Uh minus 1.32 units on Dante Mays. I know everybody felt that one this week. Shout out to anybody that was on the Hamdi Abdel Wahab side. Uh, you know, crazy line movement all week. I think we saw Don Mays go from like minus 120 all the way to about minus 200 because people really did not believe in ha uh, Hamdi. Um, and they're right, you know. Uh, uh, sorry, the, the people backing Hamdi were right. You got the takedowns. You managed to grind the fight out. Don Mays going for weird trips, falling, and then ending up with Hamdi on top of him. He deserves to lose that fight. So minus 1.32 units there. The thing that I'm happiest about is not hammering it more than that, right? I, I knew I needed to taper it off a little bit. I get it. It seemed like a huge mismatch pre-fight. It seemed like Hamdi was an absolute fraud. But at the end of the day, we were trusting Don Mays with our money, and you just cannot do that. So minus 1.32 units there. Uh, other loss, two other losses there. We had the under one and a half in the Colosseum uh, Blood Diamond fight at plus 111. That doesn't end up hitting for us. Uh, Kosi, not as successful on the ground as I expected him to be in terms of being able to work for a finish. Seemed like he was fine to just grind that fight out, get into the win column, and uh, you know bounce back from that loss that he had against Phil Rowe in the fight before that. And then lastly, he had a 0.5 unit stab on uh, Rafael Alves to win in round one at plus 650. I personally just wish I took the under two and a half and it was a sweat, right? I think there was like one minute left before the under one and a half or under two and a half uh, was going to crash. But uh, Drew Dober goes out there. That's a beautiful body shot. Uh drops Rafael Alves and gets the finish there. So all in all, plus 2.09 units for a 16% ROI. Happy with my performance there. You know, the the uh, the straight plays, again, continue to be uh, uh, great for me. Plus 2.59 units just straight on straight plays for a 24% ROI, minus 0.5 units on the props. Um, 
But even the event before that, plus 6.23 units uh, on straight money line plays, of which I went to three and one on. Uh, and then it was my props and parlays that made me end up down minus 1.5 units. Although I did hit a three and a half unit play on the under three and a half for Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall. Again, shady how it happened, but the way those guys, those boys were throwing, I feel like we would have gotten a finish regardless. So right now I have three straight money line plays lined up for this weekend's card. I will be looking at, excuse me, a couple more depending on line movement, but uh, just letting you guys know that as well. All right, let's just quickly see what the chat is saying here. Then we'll get into the breakdowns again. This MMA Lockcast episode, uh, it's going to be available audio as well. So um, I want to try keeping the, the chat interaction to a minimum unless it really uh, pertains to the matchup that we're talking about and I haven't already touched on it, um, uh, which is why I wanted to you know take this time to even introduce or remind people of the new show that I have called MMA Lock Talk where I'm chatting with you guys the entire time. You know I mean, uh, I'll be going through every single comment that I can, talking about as many different topics as I can, answering as many co- uh, questions as I can. Uh, that's Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern, four days a week. You guys can guarantee that I'll be sitting in this chair and answering and talking to you guys as much as possible. So if you haven't already checked out episode one, uh, that dropped earlier today. Episode two is tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys go check that out as well. All right. Let's get into these goddamn breakdowns. Let me actually, let me just see what the live chat is saying. Then we'll get into the breakdowns. Olajuwon Dream saying that was quite the night of contender series. Absolutely amazing night of fights. Crazy, crazy fights that just went down. James Vidala in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. With the classic EA Sports logo as well. That brings back so many memories for you, boy. (laughs) When NBA Live was actually good. Uh, Mr. Always Profit saying, thanks for getting live. I need to calm down. Never been so upset as I'm watching that dumbass Camel get knocked out. Uh, He thought he had him on the ropes, man. He thought he had Chris Duncan on the ropes, and he paid for it. Ian Wind in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Buffalo on the beat in the chat as well. Tristan Sherhouse saying, I just got to the part where you're talking about the Freemasons on the lock talk. Yes, Google that if you want. But Ryan Jimmo and uh, Mike Shivalo, definitely guys that were all over that. Uh, Rexley saying, Let me the early week drops. Appreciate you, man. Preet. Appreciate as well, Rexley. That is probably my number one guy right there. Always showing your boy support and sticking up for your boy. One hell of a kick. It was absolutely one hell of a kick from Brandon Moreno. Uh, Joshua Frexing, people overrated that cut. Yes, it was one strike, it was one elbow that opened that up. Two was about to go up two rounds to one. Yes, he was about to go up two rounds to one. Jared Curry saying, what's up, everybody? Joshua Frick saying, no way he was going up two to one. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sick Chevy Colorado saying, love the show. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Tristan Shiraz with the fire. Uh, DFS Whisperer saying, man, NBA Live hasn't been good since AI was on the cover. Yes, you're so right. The one that I remember the most, I forgot what year it was. I want to say 2001, but the one with Tim Duncan on the cover. Goddamn. Trusha saying if Dontel fought like Acosta, he'd have won easily. Yeah, he was using that jab very well. He was touching him up. Six Chevy saying, everybody get these likes up. Reminding you guys, hit that like if you haven't already. Morthless also saying Moreno robbed us of a great fight by finishing it too soon. Yeah, it could have been crazy, but I was happy to cash my ticket as soon as possible. All right, let's get into the fights here, right? We got, uh, let me see here. I think we have 12 fights slated for this card. Yep. 12 fights, which include two Ultimate Fighter finale 
fights as well, which we'll get to uh, on the main card. But starting off tonight, we're going to be going down to the women's bantamweight division. We got a fight between Myra Bueno Silva and Stephanie Egger. Interesting line movement coming in on this fight as Egger started off as the underdog. Let me just get the line here. She was plus 110, got bet, or sorry, uh, Bueno Silva took a ton of action, pushed Egger up to about plus 145, even plus 150, but steady money has been coming in on her now, making her the favorite roughly around minus 120 to minus 130, depending on where you're getting your odds from. I wish I got to tape on this fight a little bit sooner because I really didn't expect uh, this much action and love to come on Stephanie Egger, but I felt like she was going to be a solid spot on this card given her grappling advantage she should have in this fight. And what I mean by that is she may not have the better jiu-jitsu here because we've seen Bueno Silva obviously snatch up a couple of submissions on, over her last couple of fights, but the ability to get the fight to the ground with her Olympic level judo, her ability to dominate from on top being the I believe she'll be the stronger woman out of the two here as well. Uh, and then being able to control that top position, which I absolutely believe she'll be able to do here as well. Myra Bueno Silva, I've seen too many instances where she's a little bit too comfortable off her back. And maybe it's because she's been able to catch a couple women in you know, uh, submissions off of her back. But at a certain point, that luck is going to start to run out. And I think that's going to be here against Stephanie Egger, where Egger is going to be able to keep this fight you know, in that position where she wants it. Um, uh, with her on top, maybe in that side control position or even the half guard position. And from there, she should either grind her out or even be able to posture up, land some big strikes from on top. Uh, I feel as though if Edgar does, you know, posture up a little bit too much here, Bueno Silva will be able to find those paths to, to get back to her feet. But I still think that uh, Edgar, you know, if it, even if this fight does get back to the striking realm, uh, Edgar will do a good enough job in terms of dragging it back to the ground with her judo throws, with her clinch, even her wrestling, which I think is pretty impressive. Uh, Bueno Silva will have the advantage in terms of the striking, but she's not so urgent with it. Like, she banks on dropping and really hurting her opponents to have success in her striking, which is what happened in the Yunnan Wu fight, right? The Yunnan Wu fight was, was kind of close based on the... Um, based on the output that Yanan Wu was throwing that night. Let me just get the actual numbers here for you guys. But um, I remember Bueno Silva being a minus 500 favorite going into that fight, but uh, it ended up playing out a lot closer. So uh, total strikes, uh, Wu Yanan had 75, but she had an output of 232 strikes thrown totally. So Bueno Silva was a little bit more accurate with her strikes, landing at 57%. Uh, Wu Yunnan was only at 28%. So a lot of the shots were missing, but she was just trying to put that pace and that pressure on Bueno Silva. I've seen scorecards pretty much all over the place for this fight, but Bueno Silva did deserve to get her hand raised that night. In regards to this matchup with the Stephanie Egger, though, I do think she's going to struggle in terms of uh, dealing with the fighter on top of her. Heck, Manol Firo, world-renowned kickboxer, is having grappling success against Bueno Silva, accruing close to four minutes of control time on top, as well as landing two of six takedowns. This is coming from a kickboxer. So, yeah, De La Rosa got Mero Bueno down three times. She had nine minutes of control time, but just was not able to get off enough damage to, you know, get uh, enough of the rounds in her favor. She went to a draw. Now I'm thinking that Stephanie Yeager can replicate that, but be more dominant and land more damage so that she ends up getting her hand raised here. So uh, probably after I hop off this uh, this live stream, I'll probably go out there and um, uh, I'll probably go out there and, and take the shot on Egger. I don't mind that I missed out on the COV, but I feel like she's a pretty damn good spot if I can still get her on that minus 120 range. 
Jacksonville Zoe in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Yes, PFO is going to hard time following Dana White Contender Series because that shit was straight flames. Tristan Charles got an under Agra at plus 125. Love it. Uh, more with Lessing. You think MBS is good? You should see your sister, Myra Malo. So, <laughs> don't kill me, bro. True saying I had it to lean to Silva from review well before lines. Tristan saying probably closer to minus 110 now. Yep. Uh, Moreno season. Let's go, Sharkster. I knew you were one of the few guys that were on him heavily as well. Let's fucking go. Six Chevy Colorado, appreciating the work. Appreciate you appreciating the work, my friend. MMA Jesus in the chat saying, I hope Santos knocks you out. How much that beer belly thug? We'll talk about that fight later. Mr. Always Profit saying, lock, stop. Mignon takes everyone down, to be fair. True. But again, not really much of a grappling background compared to what uh, Stephanie Edgar has been coming up with. That's the that's the point that I'm trying to make. All right. Pick is Edgar. I'm going to say by decision, but uh, I think she should dominate this fight for the most part. All right, let's move on to the next fight, which is another women's MMA bout. We got a strawweight fight here between Corey McKenna and Miranda Granger, the returning Miranda Granger. She's coming in at about plus 190, plus 225, the return on Corey McKenna. Now, if you guys remember, Corey McKenna is probably everybody's least favorite fighter on the card outside of Dante Mays, considering she couldn't go out there and imply or apply a, a grapple-heavy approach against Elise Reed in a fight that a lot of people expected to be a layup for her that night. Um, I was not sold on Corey McKenna there. You know, I can't say too much as I didn't bet on Elise Reed. I was very close to pulling the trigger on her, ultimately didn't end up getting to the betting window. But uh, I, I was skeptical in terms of McKenna's ability to really apply that grapple-heavy approach. Wrestling could use a little bit of work. Actually, you know what? Her wrestling's not that bad because she did end up landing takedowns in that fight. It's her top control and her ability to control opponents in the in those positions. She could struggle here against Miranda Granger, right? Granger's not too bad off of her back in terms of staying offensive, throwing up submissions, and and just trying to keep their opponent working from on top. And then on the in the striking realm, you're talking about somebody who has a ten inch reach advantage over Corey McKenna here, as well as a what four to five inch height advantage, like. McKenna could get chipped away at from, from distance here, and Miranda Granger is absolutely live in this position uh, or, or in this spot. But the only thing that kind of scares me off is the fact that this is Miranda's first fight back before, uh, sorry, since having her kid, right? She that, That's why she's been off since November of 2020 is because she had a kid during this time. So it's always interesting to see how fighters readjust to giving birth, right? We saw Nina Nunes come back, and she obviously lost to Mackenzie Dern. That was probably probably more stylistic-based. Uh, she's fighting Cynthia Calvillo next week, so that will be a good test in terms of seeing what pregnancy has actually done to a fighter. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, another you know um, uh, example. She's been somewhat successful as well since coming back. Um, I think she did lose that uh, main event slot to Marina Rodriguez, though, but... It's fucking Marina Rodriguez, right? I'm trying to think of other fighters off the top of my head who have given birth while being on the UFC roster and then came back. But none others really come to mind here. Uh, Misha Tate, sorry, Misha Tate as well. She hasn't really come back and looked the greatest. So if it if if Miranda Granger was more active, if this fight was like right after the Ashley Yoder fight, like four or five, six months after that, I'd probably be willing to take the half unit shot here on Miranda Granger, especially at plus 200. Because, like, if McKenna doesn't get this to the ground, and even if she does, like, does she look minus 220? I don't think so. Like, Granger could make this very difficult for her. 
Like I'm almost even talking myself into a bet on Miranda Granger, but still, like at most, I'd probably throw a half unit on her. But it's mainly the, you know, it's the stipulations outside of the cage that are, and the factors outside of the cage that I think are going to cause uh, Miranda Granger some issues here. And Corey McKenna, we know she wants to make up for that big flub in London the last time around, and this is a good opportunity for her to go out and do that. She should just not be minus two twenty five though. If you want to play based off of value. Again, this is perceived value. In my assumption, perceived value is on the Miranda Granger side. I just can't get to the window and bet it. So the, the pick will be McKenna. I'm going to say she goes out there and actually does apply her grapple-heavy game plan, stays safe enough, and doesn't get armbarred from sub or get reversed or anything like that. And she should be able to grind this one out. But I'm not that far away from seeing a, a path to victory for Miranda Granger and her actually getting her hands here. Maybe even think of the, the new baby as a source of motivation to go out there and provide for that kid and just fight like she's never fought before, fight with a sense of urgency. So big, big question marks here. All I know is don't lay the chalk on Corey McKenna. You probably did it last time if you're considering right now. Just remember last time. That's all I got to say. MMA Jesus saying, can't get on either of these girls. I'd rather bet Sakai is my big underdog than Granger. She is live, though. She's definitely live. Mr. Always Profit saying, you think Edgar will take her down with the judo throws? I have to watch a bit more tape on Edgar. I do think. And even just regular takedowns, I think she'll be able to get her down, right? Takedown defense on Myra Bueno Silva. Uh, let me just get it here. It's 69%, but like she got, she's been taken down in every single one of her fights except her contender series fight. So, pretty sure Stephanie Edgar is going to be able to get her down. Oh, yeah, Mr. Always Profit. Then you guys know Pena also looked rough on her first fight back. That was her fight against Nico Montano. She still won that fight, but she didn't look the greatest. Dern, good call. Yep, true shot on the money here saying not laying minus 200 on a 23-year-old. Mr. Always Prophet saying Apex should favor McKenna here. I do agree with that. Jared Curran saying the major height and reach difference is going to be interesting to see here. Yeah. Again, if this ends up being a striking battle, I could absolutely see Granger just touching her up from outside and just staying safe at distance. Very sketchy fight. I would rather take the dog than the favorite. But in terms of a straight prediction here, I'll go with uh, Corey McKenna. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a welterweight bout between Jason Witt and Josh Quinlan. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 215 for Quinlan and plus 185 for Jason Witt. Now, we know what the, the issue is with Jason Witt, right? It's pretty much in every single fight. He can go out there and he can grapple you into the ground and utilize his strength and just muscle you to the ground and maybe even finish you on the ground. But if you're able to time strike correctly if you're able to match up power accuracy and timing you know and have them all intercept at the same time you're going to be able to put josh Witt, jason Witt on his butt you're going to be able to knock him out you're, you're going to be able to get him out of there that's why it's hard for me to truly get to the betting window to bet a guy like jason Witt. on the flip side would uh, you know josh quinlan you're talking about a guy with five professional fights he did have six amateur fights where he went six and oh as well but I just don't feel the greatest about betting a guy that's only 5-0 and in his professional record, right? He's going up against a guy who's had 27 professional MMA fights. Yes, Quinlan should go out there and knock this guy out. But paying that price tag, I don't think is a good thing long-term. Because if he doesn't knock him out, like Brian Barbarino was not able to knock out Jason Witt, Jason Witt can make it a long night for him. 
and, and Josh Quinlan, solid um, jujitsu, um, heavy, heavy striking, as we've seen in the majority of his fights. I don't think he'll be completely lost on the ground should the fight get to the ground. But, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to be an optimal position for him. And the other thing, obviously, on the Josh Quinlan side, he did get his or managed to stamp his way into the UFC um, with that 47-second knockout over Logan Urban back in, uh, what was it, 2021. Yeah, the second week of 2021. But he did end up testing positive for steroids after that. So they pushed that fight to a no contest. Uh, they still ended up signing him and keeping him, uh, and now here he is, roughly about a, just shy of a year later of uh, that last fight and making his UFC debut. So the question comes into play: Is the juice the reason behind Quinlan's knockout power? Is the juice behind his ability to grind guys out and then eventually choke them out later in fights? Because he's going to be dealing with a big man ahead of him in Jason Wade here, who's going to be looking to get him to the ground over and over again. So I do I still do lean on the Quinlan side. I do think he ends up finding that chin of wit at a certain point in this fight and puts him out. Uh Quinlan by KO is currently sitting at plus 100. Quinlan inside the distance is minus 165, um, which is not too far off from his money line, which is around minus 225, like I said, or minus 215. But there is a possibility of a club and sub, right? What if Quinlan just hits him and then he finds that neck and then just takes the neck on home with him? So I wouldn't want to get caught with my hand in the cookie jar with that plus 100. Although I do believe that is his best path to victory, especially from what we've been seeing from Jason Wendt over his last couple of fights, right? The guy can be hurt. The guy can be put out. The guy's very fragile. But if he can battle through it, he will make it a long night for you as well. So, um, I was thinking about parlaying Quinlan, but I just feel like having a guy that's 5-0, and you're asking for trouble in a sense. Um, I'll still take him. I'm going to take Quinlan by knockout, but I'll probably be staying off of this fight. Uh, Mr. Always Prophet saying lock and kale quit. I don't know about that. True saying Rose, Samuel, Sato can crack, though. Quinlan can too. Quinlan can too. Kappa Betts MMA saying your title is correct. Jamal stopping Santos around two or three. Him and McKinney about to light that octagon up like a backwood. I love it. Uh, True Shot saying, I wonder about the Royd. Royds, was it a one-off? I think he was doing it the entire his entire career. They don't test on the regional scene. All right. That's a wrap on the Quinlan fight. Again, once I got Quinlan uh, by knockout. Next up, we got another welterweight fight between Takashi Sato and Brian Battle. In terms of odds, we got the chalk on the Brian Battle side. He's up to minus 250 now, minus 270 on bet online. He opened up at minus 200, taking steady action. Like I said, up to about minus 250 on most books. Uh, plus 210 the return on Takashi Sato. Now, Takashi Sato hasn't really had the greatest UFC run to this point, right? Obviously, big knockout victory over uh, Ben Saunders, then takes a loss to Bilal Mohamed. Big knockout victory over Jason Witt, then took two, you know, grapple heavy losses to Miguel Baez and Gunnar Nelson. Miguel did outstrike him in that first round, then eventually laid into his grappling in the second round and got that arm triangle choke. Gunnar Nelson grinds him out over three rounds, 50 minutes. A lot of people expected him to go out there and just sub Takashi Sato relatively quickly, right? We had Gunnar Nelson as close to a minus 500, minus 600 favorite that night, and I think his submission prop was closer to minus 200. So I think a lot of people ripped up their tickets that night because of that um, 
he showed off good grappling defense there, but he still just couldn't get it done or find much success of his own. Hence why he ended up losing that fight. Now, Brian Battle, on the other hand, you know, ultimate fighter winner, beat Gilbert Bina for the ultimate fighter finale, uh, and then ended up getting the guy that he was supposed to fight, Trishon Gore. Um, and he uh, grinded him out, you know, really touched him up, doubled him up, doubled him up on strikes and uh, beat Trishon Gore as well. So great performance from him back in February. Uh, he only has one loss on his record, at least his professional record, where he lost via armbar 51 seconds into his fight. I don't think that's something that he's going to have to worry too much about here against Takashi Sato. Uh, last time Takashi Sato won a fight by submission was his third ever professional fight back in May of 2014. So just letting you guys know what you're dealing with uh, in terms of the, the potential submission win for Takashi Sato here. The best way for Takashi to win this fight, though, is his knockout power. The guy has good knockout power. His ability to close that distance with his karate-style stance, very impressive. But the fact that he was not able to knock out Miguel Baeza uh, is just a huge red flag for me. Baeza, definitely one of the more chinier guys nowadays. And he had some big shots from Sato and still kept on uh, chugging forward. Brian Battle is very durable. He can take a lot of big shots, keep moving forward. And I know he's coming down in weight here as well. Um, last time he was at 185 pounds, uh, mainly been fighting at 185 pounds. But he's been he was one of those guys that like got up to a huge weight before he started fighting, dropped a ton of weight, been fighting at 185 pounds, could lose even more weight, which he has done, and seems like he's doing very uh, soundly as well. He looks in phenomenal shape if you guys check out his Instagram page. And that should allow him to go out there and just fuel the game plan that I love from him. And that is pretty much output, movement, and mixing grappling whenever you can. You know, Trishan Gore, very difficult to take him down. Uh, so we saw Brian Battle go up there and just get, I believe, 115 significant strikes he was able to land in that fight. But even in terms of takedowns, he lands one takedown on eight attempts, but he stays busy enough with it. He gives Trishan Gore all he can handle, and then eventually gets his hand raised in that spot. Against Gilbert Abina, takes him down one time uh, on one attempt, and then eventually finishes him via rear naked choke in that second round. So he has that upside of mixing in his striking with his grappling. And once he gets this fight to the ground, I think he's going to be able to get to whatever position he wants against Takashi Sato. And I think that will eventually open up a submission opportunity for him that he should be able to take and bring it on home with him. Right now, Brian Battle is sitting uh, to win by submission. is currently sitting at plus 400. Opened up at plus 500. I'm assuming got some early action, which is why now it's down to plus 400. But I think that's absolutely the way he wins this fight. Mix up your strikes, mix up, mix up your game plan as much as possible. Wait for that takedown opportunity to open itself. Once it does, let's get this guy to the ground and let's smash him and eventually open up that submission. So I love Brian Battle in the spot. Absolutely love Brian here. What I don't know what else to say and how much more to point at the fact that I love. Uh, let me try to get this. I love Brian Battle so much this weekend if you guys are listening to the audio i apologize but i am pointing to one of my mma lock of the night logos that sits behind me in my studio i love brian battle in this spot <laughs> true shot saying gunner didn't even seem to try for it much True shots saying uh, battle was doughy at 18, uh, 185. I agree. 
Jared Curry saying, I think Battle has the best chance of these minus 200 fighters to really look his price tag, given the grappling upside here, exploitable, and Battle is willing to do it. Could not have said it better myself, Mr. Jared Curry. Also saying that and just overwhelming Sato on the feet. Don't see much Sato has here outside of a let, left fuck you knockout. Exactly. Pooh Bear. Let's go. Robert Cello saying Battle has a grand chin too. Bingo. All right, let's move on to the next fight. I don't think we need to talk about that too much more. It's very straightforward in terms of how to play that fight. All right, next up, we got a lightweight belt between Terrence McKenney, who is the biggest favorite on the card right now, coming in at minus 850, minus 1,000 are a couple of spots as well. Uh, Eric Ghost Peppa Gonzalez coming back at plus 600, all the way up to plus 625. Uh, very easy to break down Terrence McKenney fights, right? 14 out of 16 fights have not reached the second round. 15 out of the 16 of those fights have finished under one and a half. There is a reason the under one and a half is currently at, well, last time I saw it, it was at minus 260. Money coming in on the over now, bringing it to about minus 245. But Eric Gonzalez is a willing dance partner here for the under to hit at shock. And I'm looking to parlay that spot uh, with something else, maybe with all the exchange. Up. We'll talk about that, obviously, in the next fight. But I think McKenney always comes out like a banshee. He always tries to get the quick finish. If he's not able to get the finish, Gonzalez is more than likely. Uh, he is wild enough and and willing enough to go out there and try to get the finish. I think this absolutely happens. So uh, if this right if fight at all reaches round two, uh, I feel like an auto bet is warranted on the Eric Gonzalez side, especially considering how much we've seen McKenney's cardio fall off in past fights that reach round two. Uh, now, I remember when I broke down Terrence McKinney fights earlier before his first couple UFC fights, or at least his, his yeah, b- before his couple UFC fights, I was like, yo, this guy like gassed the fuck out against Sean Woodson and people are hit me up and they're like, yo, he took the fight on short notice, his cardio is okay. But like we're seeing in fights now that he really does start to slow down if things are not going his way. And I feel like we're going to see that here as well uh, if he can't get Eric Gonzalez out of there early. I think he will, though. I think he's just too fast, too powerful. I think that head kick's going to land with perfect precision here. That's going to end Eric Gonzalez's night, and we get another first-round Terrence McKinney win. That's not going to work for a lot of guys, right? We saw, obviously, him flub against uh, Drew Dober, who he almost finished as well, right? He had his own moments of success there, but just couldn't get him out of there. But Eric Gonzalez is one of those guys. He's going to be able to go out there and get out of there quickly. Just to let you guys know how much McKinney, uh, you know, and, and his ability to win fights in round one, the odds here are minus 200 for him to win in round one. Here's another crazy odd that people might want to look to take advantage of. Uh, Gonzalez to win in round two is plus 2,500. Gonzalez to win in round three is plus 4,000. Worth a little bit of a sprinkle if you guys don't mind, you know, throwing in five or 20 bucks that you don't want to see again on crazy odds that are absolutely live, especially if McKenney's not able to get it done early. Unfortunately for Eric Gonzalez, though, I think he gets run through early in the spot. So give me uh, McKinney, McKinney round one, but the under two and a half is what I'm going to be looking to play here. Don't mind the chalk on it at all. Bob Spikerman in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by my friend. James McCourt saying McKinney shit the bet against Dober. Dober, very tough, very tough out. MMA Jesus saying took the Luke Neal over two and a half, plus 125. We'll talk about that when we get there. Lajwan Dream is on the T-Rex side of things here. I completely get it. Mr. Always Profit saying, Dober, top five chins in the UFC. Absolutely agree. 
Jared Curry saying him flooring Dobro with basically his first shot is fucking nuts. Obviously he lost, but T-Rex might have some rare power in a division full of it. Yeah, it's the way he's built too, right? He's like long, lanky, and he whips his strikes. And like I think a lot of that has to do with how he's built. Even some of the finishes he's been able to get on the ground, like insane from full guard. He's able to just wipe these guys out. So crazy, 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 crazy. Kung Dao Chicken saying, are you still betting full time? Yes. Uh, well, content creating full time. I am not living off my winnings per se because I'm taking, you know, $200 units. I'm just trying to be as uh, safe about it as possible. But yes, I am betting, breaking down fights, doing content creation full time. And that doesn't seem like anything that's going to be stopping anytime soon either. So it is also very much thankful to you guys as well for doing allowing me to get to that point. Southpaw picks in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by as well. Jared Curry in the chat is saying, dude is hundred percent fast twitch muscle fiber. I agree. Nick saying what's plus 4,000. It's the uh, round three. Um, round three for Eric Gonzalez to win, which is live. If he can survive the early onslaught, which I just don't think he can. Anthony Kuhn saying, love the McKinney breakdown. Glad you like it. Mr. Always Profit saying, man, if somehow McKinney gets that card, he has good potential. His wrestling is underrated. I absolutely agree. Nick saying, guys, please mourn my loss with me at $120 on Amanda Nunes to win by submission. Ouch. Seemed like a lot of times that was open, man. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a uh, welterweight fight. We got Mikhail Olegshejuk finally going down to 185 pounds, going up against Sam Alvey. In terms of odds, biggest second big, biggest favorite on the card. We got Mikhail Olegshejuk coming in at minus 600, plus 450 the return on Sam, smiling Sam Alvey, I should say, in what could potentially be the last UFC fight on his contract. Now, if you guys remember, there was a couple months ago that Sam Alvey revealed to the UFC or sorry, revealed to the fans that the UFC said, you know, we appreciate you taking every fight that we've ever given you. You've been a great company, man. We know you're on a crazy losing skid right now, but we're willing to give you one last fight. You can fight out your contract. If you win, that's one thing. If you lose, you're gone. So Sam Alvey, 100% fighting for his job this weekend, and he's taking on a tough, tough guy in Mihal Oleg who's finally coming down 285 pounds, like I said. And the reason I'm saying finally is the man's not built for 205. The man's not built to go up against some of these uh, bigger guys, right? And, and I think it was the Dustin Jacoby fight that really showed him that, okay, I should be at a lower weight class because this guy, Dustin Jacoby, just beat me without one of his main tools, and that was his kicking game. Because apparently Dustin Jacoby broke his foot or something before that fight, and we expected Jacoby to use his, uh, you know, his feet and his kicks to maintain that outside position and to, you know, be able to chip Mihal from distance. But he couldn't use it, and he still beat Mihal Oleksandrovich. And I think a lot of that had to do with the size advantage he had in that fight. You know, just for comparison's sake here, Dustin Jacoby only threw two leg kicks the entire Oleksandrovich fight. To give you an example, he threw 22 against John Allen in the fight before that. Against Darren Stewart, a fight that only lasted three minutes. He's at least went one of two on kicks compared to, you know, two of two in 15 minutes. So that's something that he was uh, really relying on there. So in terms of Mihal Oleksandrovich here, size-wise, six foot, 74 inch reach. 
So he's still going to be outsized slightly here by Sam Alvey, but that just goes to show how big these guys at light heavyweight can truly be. Now, Mihal with his striking style, I love it. Pressure, pressure, body work, always move forward. Big, big uh, power in your hands as well. I love his style. The guy seems to have a very solid chin as well. Seems like he can take a lot of damage and keep on chugging forward. Um, I love him in the spot. I love him in the spot enough that I think he'll actually be able to win this fight via decision. Or, or, or sorry, by, by knockout. I think he gets a pretty quick knockout in this spot. Oleg Shajak by knockout is currently sitting at minus 110. You know, Alvi's durability, once famed, has really started to deteriorate during this eight-fight losing streak that he's currently on. Nine-fight winless streak as well to add to boot. Sorry, uh, sorry, seven-fight losing streak as well as uh, an eight-fight winless streak. Obviously, that Dao Un Jung uh, split draw is, is sprinkled in there. But uh, he got finished by Antonio Rodrigo or Rogerio Noguera in September of 2018 in a fight that he was a huge favorite in. He was a minus 400 favorite that night, got starched by Noguera. He follows that up by getting knocked out by Jimmy Crute, of all people, right? Jimmy Crute, normally a submission guy, goes out there and knocks out Sam Alvey without much, much issues there. Loses a decision to Clinton Abreu. Loses a decision to Ryan Span. Very close fight. Probably could have gone his way. That was the first event back during that COVID era as well. Uh, goes to war with Dao Unyung. Impressive there. Gets finished by Julian Marquez. Goes to a split decision loss against Wellington Thurman. And then loses via rear naked choke to Brendan Allen. Uh, after getting hurt in that fight multiple times. So I think Mihal is probably one of the biggest hitters that he's faced out of those guys, right? Julian Marquez, Ryan Spam, big hitters as well. Dao Nguyen, big hitter. But Mihal Olegshejuk, with that pace and that pressure, I think he's going to be able to track down Sam Alvey, who's not that hard to find, right? Sam Alvey always just likes backing up, likes having his back against the cage, similar to Tyron Woodley. And then from there, Mihal should be able to open up with combinations, big strikes. And he might eat a couple counters from Sam Alvey, who's still a big hitter. But I think he'll be able to survive it, and I think he'll be able to land the bigger, better strikes, eventually getting Sam Alvey out of there. So give me uh, give me Mihal Olegshejuk. I think he's worth the minus 600. I would rather parlay Olegshejuk than Terrence McKinney, personally, as I think that McKinney, again, he has that three- to four-minute window where he can get his best work done. If he doesn't, gas tank, huge, huge liability. Whereas Mihal Olegshejuk, I know he's going to put it out on him. Uh over 15 minutes. So give me Mihal Olegshejak here. Might parlay him. Who knows? Maybe I parlay him with the under one and a half in the Terrence McKinney fight. I think that would, wouldn't be the greatest of odds, but still. <laughs> uh, I like Olegshejak a lot in that spot. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Nick saying, wow, I hate betting against those fights where the contract is online. Uh, Jared Curry saying Alvi's last win was a split over Gian Volante, quite possibly the worst 205 ever, at least until Harry Hunsucker makes his light heavyweight debut. Good point. Southpaw picks saying Mihal body shot followed by right hook against the cage. I see it. MPTV saying is this live or a premiere? It is live, my friend. A uh, total. Good question. I didn't even bother looking at the total. Uh, total is set. Widely available total is set at one and a half. The under one and a half is currently sitting at plus 135. Uh, you know, I, I would rather take the fight doesn't go to decision, which is minus 160, which is probably the better way to go now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe parlay that with uh, with the McKinney under one and a half and you can get a solid line. But uh, yeah, I would rather take fight doesn't go to decision than the under one and a half because 
This could go a little bit deeper, but I'm certain that Oil Exchange X pace and pressure will eventually catch up to Sam Alvey and he'll be able to knock his ass out. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 70 live viewers that we currently have in the chat right now. Appreciate you guys hanging with us on this Tuesday night edition of the MMA Lockcast. Make sure you guys hit that like if you haven't already. If you're listening to this on audio platforms, please do ensure you guys rate and review us on the, or at least me, <laughs> on those platforms just to get us out there a little bit more and get my ass on in the algorithm a little bit more. And I'm always going to take the opportunity to remind you guys of the new show that I got dropping Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, every single week, four days a week, 4 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern, where I'm just talking shit with the chat. So a uh, great way for me to uh, communicate with you guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the future of that show. Really hoping it becomes a staple for a lot of people on a, uh, you know, Monday through Thursday basis uh, to, to come out there at 4 p.m. Eastern and hang with your boy. My guy, Zach A, saying, anyone put their mortgage on Salvador like I was suggesting? You fucking nutcase. The first person I thought of when he got that dog out was you. So shout out to you, Zach. Uh, thankfully, I didn't bet on Shannon Ross. I even said it in my breakdown video. If anybody watched the breakdown video for the, the contender series that I did, uh, I said he was the livest underdog on the card. Now, Chris Duncan, as an underdog, pulled it off as well. But uh, I, I felt that Shannon Ross was very flimsy, had some durability issues, and Vinicius Salvador took full advantage of that. All right, let's keep the UFC Vegas 59 breakdowns moving along because we got a six-fight main card to tackle up next. First of which, we have a flyweight belt in the women's division uh, between Eriani Lipsky and Priscilla Cachoeira. Right now we got minus 170 on Lipsky and plus 145 the return on Priscilla Cachoeira. Now, I don't think we've seen Eriani Lipsky come even close to the potential that a lot of people had for her when she came over from the KSW scene. She came in with an 11-3 and record, and her first fight in the UFC was against Joanne Calderwood as a minus 245 favorite, Absolutely ends up shitting the bed that night. She follows that up with another abysmal performance against Molly McCann in a fight that she was a minus 275 favorite in. Then she finally gets a very short notice step up spot here from Isabella de Padua, who came in on literally 24 hours notice. I believe she accepted the fight the morning of the weigh-ins. Uh, she steps up. Uh, it was a catch weight of 135 uh, 30 pounds, and uh, Ariane Lipsky just touches her up, beats her as she should in that spot. The Lu Luana Carolina fight, I would have loved to see that go out over 15 minutes. I do recall having a bet on Lipsky in that spot because I'm just not that big of a fan of Carolina. But she manages to get her in a weird position on the ground, ends up getting that knee bar and getting the tap. So good win from her there. She follows that up with two straight losses uh, in the second round, both via ground and pound to Antonina Shevchenko and Montana De La Rosa. Not good looks. Although, you know, Del Rosa always feel like has been underrated throughout her career. But then she follows that up with a solid performance over Mandy Bohm. Uh, you know, a lot of people not high on Mandy Bohm, especially after her last performance here against um, uh, fucking Victoria Leonardo a couple weeks ago. So maybe the level of that win, not the greatest, right? She gets two knockdowns in the fight against Mandy Bohm, lands 87 significant strikes, lands a total of 116 strikes, nearly, uh, what is that, double, almost tripling the number that uh, Mandy Bohm was able to put up that night. But that that's the level of opponent that I expect Lipsky to beat. Now, 
Cachoeira finds herself in between the Mandy Bohms, Isabella de Padua's, and the uh, Montana de la Rosa's, and the Molly McCann. She's somewhere in between there, just based off of her fighting style alone, right? Just based off of the zombie girl style that she fights with. She moves forward. She throws big shots. She doesn't care if she gets hit. She's more than likely going to hit you harder than you're hitting her. And, And that's pretty much the way I see this fight going, man. I think we're going to see Lipsky on her back foot for the majority of this fight. She might be landing the cleaner, crisper strikes, but I think at a certain point, that pace and that pressure and that forward movement, that relentless forward movement of Priscilla Castro is going to catch up to Lipsky, and I think that's going to be the ultimate demise of Lipsky in the spot. Since you guys are watching this, you know I truly appreciate everybody uh, uh watching it and ingesting the content. So I'll let you guys know right off the bat. I have a play on Priscilla Castro right here. I took a one unit shot at plus 150. Again, Lipsky is the better fighter, or sorry, is the better martial artist. Priscilla Castro is the better fighter. And what I mean by that is what we're going to see this weekend with her moving forward, landing the better strikes, uh, pushing Lipsky up against the cage and just making it a rough night for Lipsky. I think Lipsky uh, has confidence issues, and she'll feel that more and more as this uh, as this fight goes on. So uh, unless Lipsky puts her on her butt and takes her out, I think she's going to have a long night, and that's just going to be having the zombie girl in her face the entire time. And uh, this might even look like the ji Yoon Kim fight at, at certain moments, but I truly think that Kashwara will uh, get stronger and have better results the longer that this fight goes. So give me the dog shot here on Priscilla Cachoeira. I think she beats the Queen of Violence. Actually, she might have to give up the name Queen of Violence, especially depending on how Cachoeira disposes of her in the spot. Uh, Nick saying, bet you money you slept on Alex Morono. I did not. He was one of my underdog plays. Southpaw pick saying, Chris Duncan was my most confident play, and I was tar- terrified early. Crazy fight. Crazy, crazy fight. Jared Curry saying our fight of the night odds posted on Callout bet yet. This feels like a good sleeper bet for that. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up, but uh, I'll definitely be giving you a uh, a shout out when we do talk about it on the Prop New Up show on Thursday. Wendy Willis saying no cap rise Duncan Lock. I was riding with him all the way, baby. Good shit, my friend. Building that confidence, even when it seems like everybody is on the other side, is very key in this game. Southpaw pick saying Priscilla too much of a dog for Lipsky. I agree. Worthless saying Lipsky has generally good hands, a rarity at women's uh, flyweight. I agree, but I think she's going to be breaking sooner or later. <laughs> Bob Spikerman saying, uh, we also appreciate you, my brother. Again, hit that like if you guys haven't already. Bob just reminded me that you guys appreciate me as much as I appreciate you guys, but I appreciate the ones that hit the like. That's it. <laughs> Love you guys. All right, let's keep this trade moving along because we got five more fights to get through, next of which brings us to the men's heavyweight division. We got Sergey Spivak coming in at minus 255, plus 250 in the return on Augusto Sakai. Now, this is this is one of those fights where initially I thought the line was wide, right? I'm like, what's this disrespect on Augusto Sakai? Does everybody think that he's been... You know, the fact that he's been finished three times in a row, is that why everybody's going against him now? Like, he's on the cusp of losing his job? Sergey Spivak's not a big puncher. Sergey Spivak's not a Jairzinho Rosa strike with his power. He's not a tied to Ivasa with his power. So what the ha- what's the hate for Augusto Sakai? And I think it comes from the lack of takedown defense, the lack of 
ground game, grappling game, period, from Augusto Sakai. There's not much film on it. There's not much tape on it to say with 100% clarity and 100% justification. But you got to believe Sergey is going to be looking to go to his bread and butter, which is landing three takedowns per 15 minutes. That's got to be up his sleeve in the spot, right? We saw Reem have tremendous success in terms of getting Augusto Sakai to the ground. But I think a lot of that had to do with the exhaustion that Augusto was probably feeling late in that fight due to his lack of experience in five-round fights compared to Alistair Overeem. Um, so I chalked it up to, to you know, just inexperience of five-round experience. And then there was the Blagoy Ivanov fight where he stuffed two of three takedowns from Blagoy. One of those being the infamous cage grab in round three. He did stuff a decent one in round two, but the shot was a naked shot from Blagoy. Reached for the leg, never really put a full emphasis on it, but I think it was because he just telegraphed it a little bit too much. He did land a takedown earlier in that fight, so you know he can't be taken down. We did not see Augusto Sakai get back to his feet after that. You know that was the ending of the second round or uh, second round, I believe. We did see him face nine or eight takedown attempts on the contender series. He stuffed seven of them. But the guy that he fought was a complete bum, right? The guy was like gassed after three minutes of fighting. The guy was a, a roid freak, it seemed like, too. So not too much crazy good data out there to support that Augusto Sakai has solid enough takedown defense to be dealing with what Sergey Spivak is going to be looking to implement here. So my initial thoughts on making Sakai a, a dog play here has really been thwarted as I think that Sergey Spivak, for the large part, has been overlooked. A lot of people have been underrating him, but I think people are now starting to give him the respect. I think that this is a great spot for Spivak to go out there and get that win. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I should parlay him with the the fight doesn't go. Maybe I'll make a crazy parlay of uh, Spivak, the McKinney under one and a half, and the Mihal Olichajek fight to not go to a decision. I like all those chalky spots, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the, of Spivak. I think he gets his work done well here. He's the, He won't be the better striker. That's where I have some question marks about him. But he is a grinder. He is a guy that's going to go out there and land at least three takedowns for 15 minutes. And I think he'll be able to do that successfully here against Sakai. He might even finish Sakai on the ground. So... That's absolutely in play in the spot as well. So give me Spivak, give me Spivak inside the distance as well. Bob Spreckman saying he thinks that Lipsky lands takedowns and grinds her up Bellator style. I'm just not 100% sure if she will be successful with those. Kappa Bet saying you're one hell of a content creator, man. Very easy to listen to. Appreciate it, my friend. I think I can still work on my vocabulary, my delivery, but I'm doing my best. Appreciate it, though. Bob Speckerman saying, but really want to bet Cashware here. Let's do it. <laughs> True Shot saying, bet Spivak 10 days ago. Makes sense. You probably got a great number on that as well. Dirty Reg 22 saying, disrespect on Sakai because he sucks. <laughs> I back Sakai multiple times and he puts bet every time I'm fading here on out. Again, just remember, every fight is a different fight. You know, the last three fights that he's lost, he lost against the uber-experienced Overeem and two guys with tremendous knockout power. Sergey Spivak is none of those. He's a guy with a really good wrestling uh, base, though, and the ability to implement it here. So maybe that's enough to actually beat him as well. So I'm not saying to go bet Sakai, but I'm just trying to remind you, don't just bet against the guy because he's fucked you over in the past. Every matchup is a different puzzle. 
Mr. Always Prophet saying not sold on Spivak at all. Dirty Reg saying you did good, Drew. <laughs> Southpaw Pick saying I like the Polar Bear. He's been profitable for me overall. Yes, I like it. Bob Spreckman saying I am too thinking of betting Spivak at minus 200. Well, he's up at minus 250-ish now, so you're not going to get minus 200. I'd be surprised if we get any love for the Sakai side to bring him back down closer to minus 200. I think we might even see him go up to minus 300. Nick saying Spivak is most definitely not losing. He got way better. I agree. Dirty Greg saying it's heavyweight, so we know anything goes. True, but I think that Spivak's durability hopefully should hold up here. And this guy's never been a really big power puncher, right? He's been more of a volume puncher than anything. He has a couple knockouts on his record, don't get me wrong, but I'll be surprised if he's able to pull it off here. Uh, Joshua Frey saying, why can you give Clinton I beer tips? I can't because you got to be born Indian or you got to be born Italian. That's it. That's all I can say. Or Greek. I think Greek guys have pretty crazy beards too. Uh, that's true. Every fight is different. I agree. Yes, sir. Southpaw Pig saying, Luxcon is great. It's not easy talking in front of a camera. It's been a work in progress for me to bring the energy every week. Not just every week, almost every day. Appreciate the love, my friend. More or less saying, pretty similar to the Fleet Boy matchup, Spivak Rose. I like it. Good comparison. Eric Perello saying, good contender series breakdowns. Thank you, my brother. I think I went two of two and three on predictions. Although I did try to warn people about not uh, parlaying Shannon Ross. So hopefully some people uh, got some tips from that. Hill plus Spivak is looking good. I don't mind that. All right, so I'm going to go Spivak, Spivak inside the distance. Now that brings us to the first Ultimate Fighter finale showdown that we got. This one takes place in the women's flyweight division, and it's going to be between Juliana Miller, who's coming in at minus 120, and plus 100 return on Brogan Sanchez. Just to give you guys an idea of where this line was and how it's moved since, uh, it opened up with Juliana Miller as a plus 140 underdog. She immediately gets bet, bet up to about minus 130, hovers around minus 135, minus 140, and then steady money coming in on Brogan Sanchez to make this you know, a very close fight. Some spots even have this fight as a pick 'em, which I kind of agree with. But I do like the underdog side on Brogan Walker here. So um, let's start off on the Juliana Miller side, though, right? Her tape mainly showcases her going out there and desperation takedown after desperation takedown. That's pretty much it. That's the way that she lost her initial fight to to uh, Claire Guthrie. You know, a couple fights before she jumped on to the, or sorry, the, the last fight she had before going on to the Ultimate Fighter. She ends up fighting Claire Guthrie on the uh, Ultimate Fighter in her first fight. And she uh, gets the dub that night because she starts actually mixing in damage finally, not just with her takedown attempts, which is what she's pretty much getting outworked when uh, on the Invicta fight that she had with Claire Guthrie. You know, she was relentless with the takedown attempts, but Guthrie was the one landing the damage, which is why she ended up getting her hand raised that night. But in the second fight here on the Ultimate Fighter, we saw Juliana Miller get the takedowns, get those dominant positions, threaten with submissions, threaten with big ground and pound from on top. That's why she ended up winning that fight. The Caitlin Neal fight. You know, Caitlin Neal, scrub, in my opinion. Five and four record, not the greatest fighter. Uh, you know, a girl like that, Juliana Miller is going to be able to go out there and beat. Now, Brogan Walker, on the other hand, one of the more experienced fighters on that season of the Ultimate Fighter, especially in terms of the women, 7-2 and two record, but big win over Miranda Maverick earlier in her MMA career. That was back in uh, July of 2018. Obviously, Miranda Maverick, a much better product 
now than she was back then. But still, to be able to defeat that version of Miranda Maverick was very impressive to me. She did go on to lose her next two fights to Pro Gonzalez and Aaron Blanchfield, but she did pick up a big win over Emily King via rear naked choke before she entered the Ultimate Fighter house. She beat Hannah Guy and Laura Gallardo by unanimous decision, uh, and a, a large part of that was her superior striking. She's very fluid with the strikes, good combinations. She has decent takedown defense, at least what she showed off in the Miranda Maverick fight, and I think that's the type of takedowns we're going to be seeing from Juliana Miller. Right, She might be able to land one or two of those, but I'm not 100% sold that she'll be able to really have true success on top of Brogan in this spot. Um, I think Brogan will stick and move well here. She'll be able to touch up uh, Juliana Miller from the outside and have tremendous success with her striking. You know, Miller's striking is very plotty, slow. Uh, she just stalks forward, doesn't really have much head movement or much legit footwork either. So I think that's where she's really going to struggle, especially against a girl in Brogan Sanchez who can pretty much dance circles around her here, right? I think she can strike very well here to nullify the, the relentless pace and pressure that will likely be put on from her or by uh, by Juliana Miller. So I do like the Brogan Walker side here. Thinking about taking a small shot on her as an underdog, much more experienced, much better level of competition. She should be good in terms of stuffing takedowns here. And then with the striking, I think she's just a much better fighter in that regard. So give me uh Brogan Walker as the underdog here. I think she's going to be able to keep this up and outstrike her way to a win. Bob Sparkman saying, lock my man. I don't use bookies to bet. So if I can get, but I can bet for minus 200. Good luck. <laughs> Bob's saying my bets are screenshots, so I always have the best lines as long as I follow the line movement. Not bad. More with less saying wrestling ability at heavyweight is always like a times two value multiplier. Agreed. Yeah, great, great, great analogy there. Southpaw Pick saying I love Brogan here, one unit straight. I like it. Mr. Always Profit saying we're on a lot of opposite this week. It feels like, ooh, interesting. Let me know what your picks are, and then we'll see how we go head to head. Just for fun, right? Just for shits. Uh, so yeah, Brogan, via decision. Don't mind the underdog spot on her. Might take a one-unit shot myself. All right, that moves us on to the heavyweight Ultimate Fighter finale. This is between a light heavyweight fighter and Zach Pauga going up against Kamar Usman's brother, Mohamed Usman. In terms of odds, we're currently getting minus 240 in Zach Pauga. Plus 200 the return on Mohamed Usman. Now, Zach Pauga, this guy could fight at middleweight if he wanted, right? I saw him take on Marcus Perez for Cage Warriors, and Marcus Perez had him outsized, right? Marcus Perez, former 185er as well in the UFC. Uh, Zach Pauga goes out there and has a solid performance against him, mixes in his striking with his takedowns very well. He's a great all-around fighter, and he has a great team behind him, right? Shout out to Elevation Fight Team and my guy, Cody Donovan. You know, uh, I had a feeling that Zach was going to be able to, or Zach was going to make it to the finale because one of the times that I recorded with uh, Cody Donovan for the Coach's Main Event Marathon, he was talking about how he was down in Austin getting solid uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu work in with one of the big BJJ schools down there, and he had Curtis Blades and Zach Paugo with him. I'm like, oh, Zach from The Ultimate Fighter? He goes, yeah. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why you're bringing him with you. <laughs> and it turns out he ends up making it to the finale. Uh, you know, to Cody's 
to Cody's defense, he didn't say anything to me in terms of, yes, he is the guy that's going to make it to the finale, but I just put two and two together, right? You can, you connect the dots. That's pretty much it. So uh, throughout his career, we see him showcase a great all-around game. Good wrestling, solid volume, good uh, combinations, good pressure, great cardio. I'm not sure if I said that already, but great cardio, especially considering he could probably fight at 185 pounds if we really put the discipline to work here. And I'm absolutely certain that no matter what happens in this fight, especially if the UFC brings him back, he's going to go back down to light heavyweight. There's no way he sticks at heavyweight, especially against some of the competition he's going to be going up against. And again, this is a guy that trains on the regular with Curtis Blades. Got to believe his wrestling is going to be in check, right? So Mohamed Usman, you know, don't expect a guy like his brother, Kamaru. You know, he he's okay with taking his time and trying to outstrike his opponents. Uh, the the Mitchell-Sype fight, very weird, right? Sype's just, you know, egging him on the entire time and thinking that he's winning the fight. Then he goes out there and loses a decision. Not a good look from him at all. But he had his moments in that fight. He was landing the big strikes against Usman. He was landing enough, but then the volume started to deteriorate. That's where Mohamed Usman was able to land the more meticulous shots, the more accurate shots, and getting the better of those exchanges. I'd be surprised if he has that amount of success here against Palga, right? I, I don't know if he'll be able to land early and often enough against Palga to outdo what Palga is going to be bringing to the table here. You know the the last memory I had of had of Usman before running the tape on him for this for this fight was the Brandon Sales fight that he had on the PFL uh, uh, scene back in May of 2021. The guy gassing out, slowing down, getting beat by Brandon Sales, like not a good look from him at all there. And this is one of those spots where Zach Palga could put him through the ringer, work him, push him up against the cage, out volume him, put the pressure on him, and he could slow down Usman and possibly finish him late in this fight. But both of these guys, you know, not the conventional heavyweights that always go out there and get the finish. You'll see them taking their time and you'll see them winning by decision because they're slow, methodical about their striking approach. So in this spot, unless Usman goes out there and starches him, I think Pauga outworks him pretty easily here. You know, I understand why the line is minus 240, but uh, I wonder if the size discrepancy here is going to come into play. Again, you got to be confident in the Pago side considering the level of training partner he's had especially in Curtis Blades bringing him up the entire time and even fighting other heavyweights right Pago is six foot we don't have a reach on him six foot two and 79 inches from Mohamed Usman uh you know what let me just quickly pull up what uh Pago's reach is what did I say for Usman? 79-inch reach. Yeah, 79-inch reach. On the flip side. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to pull it up here. Uh, Zach Pauga. Tell the tape. Come on. Tell uh, the tape. Uh, 78 inch reach. So, wow, they have actually have him listed as 6'2 on uh, on the show. So maybe you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I, I'm going to go Palga. I think he outworks Usman, and he wins the ultimate fighter here. Uh, let's see. Thomas Kane. This was the guy that was tooting the Moira Bueno Silverhorn for the last three to four weeks. You're getting underdog money on her now, brother. 
Good luck if you end up taking the shot. Thomas Kane asking where Sean V's at. I'm sure he's in here lurking somewhere. Jared Curry saying, surprised more people haven't been on the last name Trap here. I think people know that there's always the shittier brother. <laughs> he, unfortunately, is the shittier brother. Thomas Kane saying, hit the like button, morons. Really appreciate it. Bless up. Yes. I'm going to reiterate that, but not as degrading. If you guys haven't hit that like, please do hit that like. Southpaw pick saying he got slept in the PFL. Usman just looks the part. Yes. Joshua Frick saying Usman plays the poor me card too much. I agree. More with less saying add Usman to the list of fighters who look jacked but suck. Absolutely. That guy is sculpted but sucks. Charlie Nunn saying you still dropping fight breakdown videos. Just jump back in on the Patreon. You already know that. Uh, no early videos on the Patreon, but best bets and profits article I try to get up there ASAP. Appreciate you hopping back on as well to the Patreon, my friend. A great way for me to plug the Patreon. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. That's all I'm going to say. I appreciate the like. That is the bare minimum I ever ask for anybody. But if you ever want to take that extra step, five bucks a month is all it costs for the Patreon. There you guys go. All right. Let's move on to some real fights again, right? Let's let's get off this Ultimate Fighter shirt. I'm over the Ultimate Fighter. Solid co-main event here at the welterweight division. We got Vicente Luque coming in at minus 190, plus 160 to return on Jeff Neal. Seems like steady money coming in on Vicente Luque over the last couple of days. Uh, very interesting fight here, right? Now, Jeff Neal is one of those guys that I feel like has started become the guy that's overlooked at 170 pounds now since his two-fight losing streak, right? He lost his first ever main event slot to Wonderboy Thompson. No harm in that, you know, no, can't really bang on him too much for that one. Wonderboy Thompson, very tough guy to, to deal with. Uh, loses against Neil Magny. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a significant grappling advantage over him, he's going to work you on the feet. He's going to put on a very difficult pace to keep up with. That's what happened to Jeff Neal that night. But then he goes out there as an underdog to Santiago Ponzinibbio. I'm like, hey, wait a second. Have we forgot about Hands of Steel? Have we forgot about Jeff Neal? The guy was a pick him against Wonderboy Thompson. The guy that was, uh, I believe he was the favorite over Neil Magny. We're just going to forget about him all of a sudden? No, I don't. I take the shot on Jeff Neal. I cash that ticket. Close fight. Say what you want. But he was in that fight much more than the odds indicated, and he ended up getting his hand raised. Now, here he is, you know, Vicente Luque, definitely a step up from Santiago Ponzinibbio. But I think he could land the more damaging blows here. Like, I do think he can get the better of Luque. I truly think that we're going to start to see the deterioration of the durability of Luque over his next couple of fights, especially considering what kind of wars we've been seeing go uh, get into over the last couple of fights. You know, going life and death against Brian Barbarena. Crazy. Crazy fight there. Bilal Muhammad fight. He gets, you know, touched up quite a lot in there. The Randy Brown fight. He eats some big shots, but ends up getting his hand raised. The Nico Price fight. Back and forth. Ate a lot of damage in that fight. Now, Jeff Neal is probably one of the best technical strikers that Vicente Luque has gone up against over his last several fights. And I think that's what's going to give him the advantage here. Luque will likely crash, crash forward and try to put output on, on Neil, but I think he's going to get countered to death in this spot. I'm surprised at the amount of people that are super sold that Vicente Luque is a lock, a lock in this spot. I feel pretty damn good about Jeff Neal in this spot, especially at plus 160. 
So I took the shot on Jeff Neal. He's my dog of the night play. I got 1.9 units on him at plus 160. I think he can land the bigger, better strikes here against Luke. He might not be able to put him out, but I think he'll be able to land uh, the more damaging blows that the, the judges will hopefully see. And that should be enough for him to go out there and get his hand raised. You know, we, we wonder how he does in terms of checking kicks and all that. He dealt with a lot of kicks against Santiago Ponzinibbio, and he did a good job in terms of shutting that down. And even going to the extent of not allowing it show that, you know, the, the leg kicks are adding up. He didn't really even flinch at those leg kicks either. So I don't think a heavy leg kicking approach from Luke is going to give him too much issues. Uh, in terms of the takedown defense of Jeff Neal, currently holds an 85% takedown defense rate. Ponzinibbio got him down once. Neil Magny got him down twice. And Chase Walden on the contender series got him down, but quickly got stood right back up and they got knocked out for his for his problems there. So going to be tough to drag Jeff Neal to the ground and have tremendous success on the mat, which leads me to believe that this is going to be a kickboxing matchup and we can't forget how technical and how clean Jeff Neal's technique is. He's going to be touching up Luke a lot here, and I think he'll have the better showcase. Just in terms of raw statistics here, 5.3 strikes landed per minute for Vicente Luque versus the 4.63 of Jeff Neal. That just goes to show, like, you know, Vicente Luque always in one of those fights that's a knockout, drag him out type of, type of scrap. And even the fights where he's, you know, landing large amounts of significant strikes, his opponents are right there with him, right? 84 to 60 significant strikes with Bilal Muhammad. Bilal obviously wins that fight by landing more takedowns and grinding him out. 64 to 61 against Randy Brown. 130 to 129 against Nico Price in their second fight. Uh, he gets outstruck by 60 significant strikes against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in a three-round three fight. 87 to 84 against Mike fucking Perry. Split decision win there, by the way. 169 to 163 in favor of Brian Barbarena. So yes, he is high output, but other guys are able to get off on him just as much, if not more. Right? He he absorbs 5.18 significant strikes per minute. Like, he doesn't have that big of a gap between how many strikes he lands uh, in comparison to how many he absorbs. Uh, even actually, Jeff Neal is on the opposite end. He He actually absorbs more than he hits. And a lot of that comes from the, the Wonderboy Thompson fight where he gets almost outstruck by 100 significant strikes. You know, that's a five-round fight compared to the three-round fight that Vicente Luque had to deal with. So a lot of that discrepancy in the, the significant strikes is due to the volume style of Wonderboy Thompson and even in the Neo Magni fight. Both guys, high-volume guys. So this is my long-winded way of saying Jeff Neal is very live in this fight. No way Vicente Luque should be considered a lock by any means here. So I'm loving this, the the price that we're getting on, uh, on Jeff Neal. Uh, let's see here. Southpaw pick saying Jeff Neal is the pick. His southpaw stance will take away Luke's lead leg kick, and the straight left will shake up Vicente plus one fifty. You're welcome. Let's fucking go, dog of the night. MPTV saying in Usman's defense, you probably never get over a losing over losing a kid. God knows I wouldn't. Yeah, that's rough. 
Usman saying, how did you do with contender series? I only had one small play. It was a parlay. I should have just made it a straight pick. But I uh, it was Billy Goff and Charlie Campbell. Charlie Campbell almost had it for us there. Tony Trill. We got a troll in the chat. Should I do it? I'll give him a warning. Actually, you know what? Calling me pathetic. It's my channel. Fuck out of here. <laughs> That's it. You can be a little bit nicer with it. You know I mean, that's all I gotta say. And I'm never forcing anybody to sign up for the Patreon either. Jeez Louise. Fuck that guy. All right, let's get back to it here. Um, Worthless saying, Neil doesn't seem to fight to his potential. I think Luke is a favorite because he performs well consistently. Good point. But again... Losses to Neil Magny and Wonderboy Thompson are not bad. Those are legitimate losses. Oh, let's see. Vikendra saying Neil's coach had to convince him to fight. Interesting. Shout out to Safe Sayud. Love me some Safe Sayud. Uh, Lock of the Night went two and three. Yes, I did go two and three. Uh, Wendy Willis saying, Locke, how just how are you going to put actual money on against Luke? Neil is not below. Luke wins this fight eight out of 10 times. Well, I just broke it down for you long enough, I think, to let you know why I'm betting on Jeff Neil in this spot. Uh, Mr. Always Profit, Neil gets outworked too much. I think Luke just outworks him. It's a po- it's possible. I am banking on Neil to land the more devastating blows here, but we'll see. Vikendra saying, how many strikes to one boy go on Neil? Again, he had two more rounds on him. He had two more rounds. <laughs> let's let's look at the numbers here once again. 171 to 85, right? That that was Wonderboy Thompson against Neil. 171, or sorry, whoops. Uh, where is the Luke fight? 138 to 77 uh, against Vicente Luke in three minutes with... 10 less minutes. He still managed to get up close to 140 significant strikes on him. Um, Let's see. Um, More or less saying the Bagney fight was weird because it was like he just fell off a cliff after round one. That's what Neil Magny does to guys, though. That is what Neil, Neil Magny does. My guy Blaze in the chat. Love that you're checking in, my friend. Tony Trump managed to get one more thing in there. One more question, but I'm glad my guy, Mr. Always Profit, has my back here saying he never said that. You clown, he literally said, Luke will have the volume. Exactly. See, that's what trolls do. They just pick at anything and just be like, hey, I want to be a troll. I want to ruin your day. Fuck you. <laughs> Bob Spikerman saying, kind of like an over one and a half in the Luke fight, but we'll be sweaty. I agree it will be sweaty, but is that the widely available total? That's my question. Over one and a half is minus 175. I think the widely available total is going to be the two and a half. Over two and a half is currently plus 100. It's going to be sweaty, but I do think we see this go the full 15 minutes. Pete G in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Um, Usman saying... Oh, we do have 
some more spam in here. Let me get rid of that real quick. Apologies for that. Uh, Usman saying, yeah, Campbell was reckless, but Ross was the real surprise after that huge line movement. Bookies were right about the original favorite. Yes. I did pick Ross in my predictions, but I will pound my chest a little bit by saying he is the one favorite that I am least confident in. And I thought that Vinicius Salvador had the biggest chance of being the the upset on the card, which he ended up being Chris Duncan when it was as well. But I need to keep my way money away from Shannon Ross. I just wish I actually predicted against him so I can beat my chest some more. <laughs> uh MPTV saying this is art to trolling. You gotta apply the right amount of pressure so that it remains fun. There you go. There's an art to trolling. There you go. Jerry Curry saying take both dudes by split. Possibility. Southpaw pick saying Neil came back from almost dying three months prior to the Wonderboy fight. Yes, that is true. Uh, Thomas Kane saying Priscilla fight is fighter than I 100%. I like that. MPTV saying the wild card here is Luke's Jiu-Jitsu. That makes it hard to pull the trigger on Neil. I'm hoping that Neil's 85% takedown defense continues to hold up here. You know, Luke Solid jiu-jitsu for sure. He managed to wrap up Michael Chiesa on that beautiful Dars. But I'll be surprised if Neil puts himself into that position. Joshua Frick saying, Locke looking so sexy, bringing in the sex spots. <laughs> Seems like it. <laughs> Rips and picks saying, what's up, Locke? Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Love the late night breakdowns. No worries, my friend. True shot saying, Vince Scully passed. Vince Scully. Do I know Vince Scully? Legendary announcer. Yeah, not not too much into the baseball side of things here. I apologize. Wendy Willis saying Campbell was a sloppy striker in his CFFC fights. I don't know if he was super sloppy, but I, I just thought he was very... I thought he was good. I thought he was. Uh, Bob Sprankman saying, Luke, a top three favorite fighter. I agree. How can he not be? Um, more with less, Luke doesn't engage... His BJJ unless you knocks Neil's first. Yep. I don't think we'll see him go out there and just initiate his uh, wrestling or anything like that. I think he'll stick with his uh, jiu-jitsu, or sorry, his uh, Muay Thai, if anything. Uh, Alexandru saying, Jeff got outstruck 89 to 37 by Magni, who I know was high output, but Jeff only threw 37 in 50-minute fight. Low output would kill him here. Again, that's that's just Magni's style. The, the, the pressure of just movement and all that, I think that caused uh, Jeff Neal to be even more... Uh, gun shy and i get it he's not going to beat luke on volume here that is absolutely true um he, it's absolutely true that luke is going to have the the volume uh, advantage here but i'm hoping that neil can land the more devastating blows here especially considering how much luke leaves himself to be open to to being hit striking defense big big liability on the luke side bob spikerman saying probably luke would kill neil magni heavily uh, I think Luke would look to take it to the grappling because that's where we see Neil Magny struggle the most. There you go. PG saying, feeling uninspired for this card. About to listen to your breakdown like in the early content. Luck, no worries, bro, brother. I got you. Alexandru saying, dude, I just wish you were more honest in your breakdowns. You only highlight what favors your guy. Jeff is throwing 76 in a three-round fight. Luke will throw 220 to 226. How am I not being honest? Like, what am I saying that's going to say that Luke is not going to be the one throwing more volume? I've been saying that the entire time. 
<laughs> I think you're just taking it negatively that I'm betting Jeff Neal here and you think that, oh, I'm betting uh, Luke here and I'm only buffing up the, the, the Neo side. No, I get it. Luke is the favorite for a reason. I get it. Jeez Louise. More honest. God. Like, I have no reason to be like, you know, Luke sucks and Jeff New should win and he's the underdog pick. Like, no, not at all. God. Um, yeah. Mr. Always Profits saying uh, Crazy Martin Sano has a win over Neil. Didn't know that. Yeah, that was like early, right? That was way early in his career. Yeah, that was his third ever fight where he got a rear naked choke there. But he's definitely gotten much better since 2013. We can all agree on that. Uh, Mr. Always Profit saying this card is iffy to me, but I have to take more fights. Hill is minus 207 on my book. Need a parlay piece for him. Just wait till I get to the breakdown of that one. Rips and Picks saying Spivak might be my favorite play this week. How do you see that fight going? Uh, I just broke it down. Uh, if you don't mind rewinding, that'll be the best way to do it. I'm doing this as an audio version as well, so I don't want to repeat what I've already said for people listening to audio. Ronnie Plaskett saying Neil got struck by Magni because he was constantly taken down and controlled against the cage. I would leave out the dummy, right? I'm trying to be as civil as possible with everybody here. True, true shot saying it's Locke's opinion. I agree. Uh, Alexander saying I didn't know Tony Trill or whatever was a troll, but losing already had. Okay, not trolling, but. That is a troll. What's so nerdy about the promoting the own brand? I'll give you. I'll give you the warning here. Uh, on his question, do you think Neil would have lasted five rounds with Bilal because Luke had performed well but not amazing? Um, I think we would have seen maybe better takedown defense from Jeff Neil. But Bilal, you know, really channeling the Kamar Usman, Kobe Covington side of things uh, with his, his approach over his last several fights. So uh, tough to say, man. Really tough to say. Luke got shut down. I'll give uh, Alex the, the warning here for uh, being slightly trollish. Nerdy hat. Is that a nerdy hat? Jeez, I think it's pretty pretty lit. The golden black cheese. Mr. Always Profit saying, I'm scared now that it seems like you're on the fence with Neo. I lean Luke. Oh, seen on the island with Neo. Sorry. I, I don't know why I thought that was a fence. I lean Luke, but need to take more into tape. You might win. I like being on the island. I was on the island with Dober last week. There you go. Kappa Bet saying, Alex tripping up in here. I'm not just stating points. There you go. Luke, Max Bet. Wow. Good luck, my friend. Good luck. Stop being a jerk. Yes, exactly. Let's see what he else he has to say. This guy makes solid picks every now and then, but very inconsistent, unreliable breakdowns. All right. Then what are you here for? Okay. He is a true troll. To the point of even spamming it. Like, come on. Get a fucking life. And I'm not... When have I ever hid the turban? I put it on my fucking, on my thumbnails. Like, I'll wear it for, like, legit big shows. <laughs> uh, you can never win in this industry, folks. There's always somebody with a 
uh, something up their ass. Uh, Jake Noker saying, uh, held Sergey Parley plus one or two. Not bad. Not bad. When he was saying, always profit. A lot of people were on Dover last week. There was no island. I think that Alves was just a very popular underdog pick. Jake saying, the hat's dope. Screw him. I love him. Joshua Frick. Lock, how do I get a nerdy hat? <laughs> Maybe I should get nerdy written on it now. Fucking idiots. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Anthony Coons saying, no matter who someone takes, he shares his breakdown. Nothing wrong with anyone doing their own research. I get awesome content from Lock. Appreciate it. Again, I give you guys what I've come up with. It is up to you whether you guys want to bet on it or not. Ronnie Plaskett saying, not sure if you've covered it yet, but I like Sakai against Spivak this week, considering he doesn't take damage well. I just don't know if Sakai has that true big power that's going to give uh, Sergey issues. Looks like UPS Brown. It's getting late. It is getting late. MPTV is saying, now I'm trying to buy that hat. They for sale. Uh, they are not, but I will eventually get them there. Mike Imperio saying, don't give them time of day. Angry at world, I agree. Sneaker reminded me to not respond to these terms. Sometimes I got to let them know, man. Sometimes I got to let them know. Um, Rips and Picks saying, how much are you usually betting on the co-main and main events? I feel these are usually the toughest to call for me. Uh, for me, one unit is 200 bucks. So if I feel confident enough, I'll put four units on it. Five units if I need to. But uh, yeah. I, I don't let the spot of the fight scare me off of it. Every fight is a different fight, no matter what position it's on. Mike Imperio saying, just got on those Dana White contender series or, or fire. I agree. Uh, all I saw was always love. There you go. Black Spider-Man letting you guys know gold and black is fucking awesome. Exactly. Mr. Always Prophet saying off topic, but you're going to do any PFO. Maybe we can discuss on Lock Talk. We can talk about it on Lock Talk, but I just don't have the time to truly, um, to truly, you know, dig in deep enough on uh on pfl so we can talk about it but i won't be able to give you guys the most insightful there i was probably remind you guys that black and gold like versace let's go uh usman saying people get mad when they rely on handicappers for bets and don't understand variants bingo mptv saying i'm surprised you don't have merch lock i used to i still i just got to get it back Honestly, I know I've never sold merch. I've only ever given out merch for free. There's a bunch of people out there with MMA, LOTN sweaters and shirts and hats and shit. But uh, I got to get back to that for sure. Ronnie asking about the main event, which I'll get into very shortly here. Chushar saying you just don't want five units on McKenna. Exactly. Mr. Always Prophet saying if that's an early high, I guess I'm a nerd. I fuck with that hat. There you go. Shout out to the wife as well, who initially made this hat for me. Not this one specifically, but this style. And then I decided to make more off of that. All right. Main event time. Shout out to the 70 live viewers that we have still rocking with us. Pretty much midnight here. Uh, it is now Wednesday morning, if you guys want to call it that. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. That is the best way to support your boy. If you want to take that step up, the Patreon is the way to go. Five bucks a month. Great amount of content on there for you guys, as well as a great Discord community. Shout out to anybody that's on the Patreon already and fucking with the Discord community as well. All right, let's get to the main event slot here. We're going to be talking about a light heavyweight fight. We got Jamal Hill taking on the biggest test to date in Tiago Santos. 
in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 265 on Jamal Hill, plus 225 the return on Tiago Santos. Great fight here. Great test for Johnny Walker. Or sorry, not Johnny Walker. I just saw the name Johnny Walker and I gave it to my head. But from Jamal Hill, great test for Jamal Hill. Although Tiago Santos, 38 years old. He'll be 39 in January, but he's definitely getting up there in age. And you're definitely seeing the, the decline in his game Although, you know, he's one in four in his last fights, uh, sorry, one in four in his last five fights, but take in these losses, John Jones, then he goes out for a year and a bit with a knee injury, which he obviously tore in that John Jones fight. Glover Teixeira loses that fight, not a good look, or sorry, not bad, especially considering he's coming off a very invasive knee surgery going into that fight. Alexander Rakic, tough fight. Tough fight for anybody. Beats Johnny Walker over five rounds and then loses to Magomed Ankalaev, who, in my opinion, will be the next light heavyweight champion. Now he's going up against Jamal Hill. He continues to face killer after killer after killer. The UFC is banking on him to go out there and be that title shot gatekeeper, in a sense. Or weed out the, the fakes. And he has the potential to do that here against Jamal Hill. right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm picking Jamal Hill to win. I think he wins this fight by knockout. But the question that comes to me here is, this isn't a guy that Jamal Hill is just going to steamroll over, right? Thiago Santos, his durability is not that bad, even at this age. The last time he got knocked out was David Branch. And that was a freak one, right? I think David Branch was on like rabies or something that night. But that wasn't one of those where, you know, the big power lands and he goes out. It just it just happened. It, that that one was a weird one. Before that, he got knocked out by Gegard Mousasi in 2016. So he's only ever suffered two knockout losses in the UFC. He's been knocked down three times in the UFC. Once by Jack Marshman, who we know all is a is a big hitter. Obviously, once by uh, Gegard Mousasi when he got finished, and then once by uh, David Branch when he finished him as well. Jamal Hill is a big hitter. But a lot of his success comes from being able to put punches together, slowly paint a picture, and then eventually knock you out. He's not this crazy one-punch knockout kind of guy, right? Jimmy Krupp might have something else to say about that. But like a lot of the strikes that he's landing are, you know, like like, like the Ovin St. Proof fight. It's a barrage of shots that gets him out of there. The Alexander Popek fight, a barrage of shots that gets him out of there. Johnny Walker, we know he's fragile. We know he can get put out. Gets put out. Thiago Santos might be able to take some of these and, you know, fire back with leg kicks, fire back with counters. The one thing I don't like about Jamal Ho's game is he leaves his chin so hot, wide up in the air, right? If Thiago Santos times the counter perfectly here, he could potentially clip the chin of Jamal Hill. Now, Jamal's been getting away with the fact that he has such a, a big reach over most of his opponents, right? He's going to have a three-inch uh, reach advantage as well as a two-inch height advantage in the spot. And that allows him to stay safe at that range. That allows him to just go out there and strike from distance the way that he does. But Tiago Santos, like this isn't a, a run-over spot for, for, for Jamal Hill, in my, my opinion. I think he's going to have to put together a solid combination, solid body of work here to eventually get Tiago Santos out of there in maybe rounds two or rounds three. People fall in love with the knockout puncher, but then they fail to look at the like the, the level of opposition that he's going up against and how they react to being hit by a, a volume or a heavy puncher. 
So, you know, if Tiago Santos was chinny and you could put him out, Johnny Walker should have been the guy that would have put him out, right? Absolutely. That's absolutely live in that spot. The the issue is 38 years old for Tiago Santos. The issue is the momentum that Jamal Hill is on right now. You got to believe that this is a passing of the torch type of spot. But I'm not so sure that minus 265 that Jamal Hill is a, is, a, is a lock of the night spot, right? There are a couple of spots on this card that I feel much better about and feel like the minus 200-ish range is much more worth it. Jamal Hill will win this fight. Jamal will, Hill will eventually finish Thiago Santos. That's just how he fights. But what I like here is the fight doesn't go to decision. Ah, she is about minus 450 now. Minus 325 on another spot. Maybe the under 3.5 minus 250. That's roughly around the same price as the money line on Jamal Hill. Because Thiago Santos can still, like the last thing to go from fighters is power. Thiago Santos can, you know, put together leg kicks. Like we saw Jamal Hill having some issues with the leg kicks from Johnny Walker early in that fight. Was it the Johnny Walker fight? Sorry, let me just pull this up real quick. No, sorry, it was the, the Ovin St. Prue fight where St. Prue managed to put together a solid body of work himself with leg kicks early in that fight. Jamal Hill eventually lands on him, gets him out of there, but we know OSP's cardio, not the greatest either. He starts to slow down in that fight. Jamal Hill turns on the burners, gets him out of there. So great cardio from the Jamal Hill side should he need it. But we know Tiago Santos has good cardio as well. So toughest test for Jamal Hill in his career. Completely understand. If he was closer to maybe minus 150, minus 170, I'd probably take the shot on him. But here, I, th I think that Tiago Santos can provide enough resistance that minus 265 is a little bit out of my betting range in this spot. Should win this fight. But let's just remember that Tiago Santos, not super fragile, has solid durability. If Jamal Hill can't get him out of there, can he properly outstrike him over 25 minutes in this spot? Or does some of the flaws that he has in his striking game, i.e. the chin up in the air, will that come and bite him in the ass here? Because Thiago Santos is definitely one of those guys that could capitalize on those spots. But I think Jamal, his body work, landing the, the body strikes, because that's one thing that he does very well, right? His, his body shots are, are very helpful, especially with shutting down fighters in, um, later in fights. That's going to be important here against Thiago Santos. But I think eventually he gets to Tiago Santos, probably gets him out of there in the third or fourth round. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle, in my opinion. I don't think it's gonna be a quick, easy walkover fight like the Johnny Walker fight was. Hill will get the win, but I'm not as confident as most people in the chat seem to be on the hillside here. But he should still end up getting the win here. All right, let's see what the chat is saying here. Then we'll wrap this bad boy up. MPTV saying shout out to Mrs. Locke for the, the lock of the night merch that she was able to put together. Wendy Willis saying he'll beat Santos in almost all statistical category, but you can't take away five round championship experience. I agree. Side question here from Joshua Chipman saying, Locke, do you think the newest fight should have been stopped? Super weird. I had five parlays. I could have cashed out, but simply wouldn't let me. Juliana Pena stayed, stayed live. She stayed live the entire time. So I don't, I don't think it should have been stopped. SI Fuel Mountaineer in the chat saying, love the content. Keep it up. Thank you, my brother. 
Shushad Singh, but likely Santos' last headline if he doesn't win here or he'll need a win streak to get back there. He's a name that will always be reliable to put in main event slots. It just depends on who the other guy is. More or less saying, I hate to say it, but Santos fights like Brazilian Sam Alvey now. I see it. Joshua Chipman saying, uh, Hill, round one, Santos come out slow and it will be the death of him, just like Lewis last week. Again, he he's not as fragile as most people feel like that quick knockout victory for a hill will come uh when he was he's fought the absolute best in light heavy division back to back i agree i'm sure always prophesying i'm a huge sweet dreams fan but i think this is a great matchup for him tiago low volume and hesitation to throw is bad and if he is aggressive hill will kill him the way he finished crude maybe maybe mptv saying this ain't the same john jones same tiago that fought john jones i don't think i agree uh Joshua saying this man had to learn to walk again. I'm surprised he can even still fight. Hill will find the KO early. I don't think he'll come early. I think he's gonna come a little bit deeper in this fight. Morthless saying the thing that makes this fight unbettable is how reckless Hill was in the Walker fight. Good, good, uh, good point. Cairo saying I just can't in good conscience ever expect Tiago to throw volume like he used to or with the reckless abandon that we've seen four plus years ago. Good point. Wendy was saying, and we see it with all these fighters who are running over competition. Love being the hammer, but we need to see them be the nail. Good point. I love it. You guys are just absolutely killing it in the chat right now. I love it. Joshua was saying, it's hard not to be a little wild when you have a man like Walker throwing the most unconventional punches you'll ever see. Good point. Jake Curry saying, never forgiving SPG for completely neutering Johnny Walker. I agree. True shot saying, I can't see Santos winning anything other than Bakeo. I'm on the same hill as you there. Jake saying he'll parlay with any other lock would work. Again, not fully on board with that. Let me get rid of this quick uh, spam. Hell by KO straight is value. What is that line? If it's plus money, it's value, in my opinion. Minus 150. Mm, I don't know about that. This could be one of those spots where he tries to play it safe and just chip away from him outside, put the volume on him. Wendy say, uh, Wendy Willis saying, we've seen Santos be the nail in all of his fights. He'll fight until he can't. If you're going to bet Hill, the only bet is inside the distance. Santos, good money line bet. Again, I don't mind the Santos spot, but the age, all that, I don't know. Joshua saying, Santos is usual and honestly, Hill is a little undersized. No way he cuts more than 10 pounds. He, he's not shredded. He's big for the division. He's just not shredded. Uh, Santos by decision or Hill by KO. Three knockdowns in one round. Could see her eyes roll multiple times. Absolutely possible. Uh, seems like we have pretty much covered it all. Mr. Always Prophet saying, what will Tiago do different than he has in pre previous fights? This is the hardest surgery he has faced in a while, and he already is scared to exchange with Rakic and Magomed. Maybe he finally sells out. Maybe he finally starts to throw. <laughs> And honestly, like, I, I, I don't know, man. I get it. Santos is a heavy hitter, but he's never... Maybe the crude fight would be a different scenario. John Awarko, we just know he's very fragile. But, like, putting out a guy that's never truly been put out, I just haven't seen it from him yet. Kung Dao Chicken saying, who's the apple pie shooter on this card? There's a couple. Be careful, guys. So, absolutely. You know, Luke could be the guy. Um, Lipsky. Terrence McKinney, I wouldn't rule out. <laughs> uh, Corey McKenna, all possible apple pie shitters. 
Uh, Joshua asking who should he'll fight next. Uh, Got to be like Magomed on Clive or something, right? Because I still think they're going to take a while to get the Glover and Yuri situation all set out. Kung Dao Chicken is hell getting a shot if he wins. I don't know. Uncle Ab is right there as well. Glover is definitely a good guy to put in there. If uh, one of them, one of Uncle Live or Hill gets the title shot, the other guy should get Glover. Mr. Always Profit saying uh, Hill has the beer belly, but he has a good size, light heavyweight. I agree. Joshua Frick saying Hill versus Lockwood's boy next. You already know. Yeah, Joshua Chipman asking if the Nunes fight, if that, if that was boxing, it would be stopped. Probably. I could. I'm fine with it going the full 25 the way that I did. Joshua Trippman saying Lipsky going to shit on everyone's night. She's terrible. One eight hundred gambler. That's why I got a bet on Priscilla Cashware right here. All right, that is a wrap on the breakdowns. Appreciate everybody checking the uh, the breakdowns out again. It's almost midnight, or is just past midnight here uh, when I'm doing this live. Love you guys as always. I'll be back tomorrow for MMA Lock Talk. Once again, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, chilling with you guys for an hour, Monday through Thursdays, taking all questions and comments in the chat section, trying to get involved with you guys as much as possible and let you guys know that you guys have a safe haven 4 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Thursdays, where you guys can, we can just chop it up as much as you guys want. All right. Love you guys as always. Hit that like on the way out if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow and the rest of. Wednesday, Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern for MMA Lock Talk. Propping you up coming up later this week with uh, Cody Saftik, 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Uh, Ultimate Wayne Show on Friday. Still got to lock down my guest for that. And then Saturday, Fight Day Live Chat. Love you guys. You guys are the best, honestly. Truly, I fuck with you guys so much. Appreciate you guys always standing up for me as well whenever the trolls get in here, especially when they get in here and I'm not at that part of the comment section. Appreciate you guys standing up for your boy. All right. Good luck. I'll catch you guys tomorrow. Peace out.